0: Good morning. It's my pleasure to be able to share with you today. Thank you, Sean. Glad you made it back safely. I want to start this morning with an axiom that I came across a few years ago. It's a favorite of mine. It's credited to John Wayne, but there's actually no evidence that he actually said it. I still like to think he did because it sounds so good. And that axiom, that quote is this, life is hard, it's harder if you're stupid. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? You can commit that to memory. It's okay. Okay. Uh, we can talk about that second half quite a bit, all right, about being stupid and how that's no way to live. That's another, that's another occasion, so we'll say that. It's really that first part that I want to focus on this morning, all right? Life can be hard. I mean, there's a shocker, right? Uh, no one's ever thought about that, huh? If you've lived life more than five minutes, you've probably determined, you know what? Life can be pretty difficult. I mean, it wasn't, what, you're in your preschool days, that first time the big kid comes and punches you and takes your toy, you know, life can be hard, all right? This whole, this whole living thing is not going to be easy. And the thing it is, when life gets hard, then other things get hard like faith and like devotion. In my own life, I could speak to this on several occasions, but one that really stands out, uh, Marilee and I have been married, I don't know, several years, maybe close to 10 years, and uh, a number of life circumstances transpired that made life not very easy. And so I'll spare you all the gruesome details, but the, the nuts and bolts of it are this. At the age of 30, with two children and married... Uh, we all moved back in with my parents for a season because I had nowhere else to go and there was no job. And the only mail I got were was uh, thanks for your interest in the position, but we've gone a different direction. It was a hard season, I'm here to tell you. And during that difficult season, I found that not only was life hard, but also faithfulness was hard to try to maintain my uh, my devotion to the Lord and my um, my devotion to His ways and to His work became really difficult. Some of you might be able to resonate with, uh, with what I'm talking about. Maybe you're in one of those seasons right now. It's not always that case. Uh, sometimes faithfulness can be relatively easy. I mean, if life is good and your health is fine and the kids are behaving and the bills are paid and uh, your spiritual life is, uh, is vibrant and your friends are close, I mean, sometimes faithfulness can be pretty easy. That's not always the case. And this morning, I want to speak about one of those occasions when it wasn't the case for the characters we're going to be looking at, and hopefully give some some principles to you so that you may not only endure life's difficult seasons, but endure it with faithfulness. That's what we're going to talk about. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, we are going to be in the book of Daniel this morning, and uh, make your way over to chapter 1. That's where we're going to start. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Daniel, I'm here to tell you it was... Uh, seemingly made for children's ministry, right? So, I mean, the book of Daniel offers these fantastic stories with these really compelling characters that are full of courage and heroism, and they get themselves in perilous situations, and then God miraculously delivers them. And so, so my earliest memories of Daniel are from those occasions, from Sunday school and DBS as a child. I'm here to tell you there's nothing childish about the themes that we find in the book of Daniel. They are serious and they are significant and for those of us who are trying to live this life out as followers of Christ, they're very poignant and, uh, I think, personal. And so these stories that we find in the book of Daniel present for us examples of faithfulness, and particularly faithfulness when faithfulness was hard. And this morning we're going to do something a little bit uh, different than what I typically do and what I uh, used to. Uh, as I was studying in preparation for this, uh, for this message, it just... I just couldn't settle on one story because I thought, man, there's there's something going on here that, that is larger than just the one story. And so the plan of attack this morning is to treat three separate stories, three scenes, as I'm going to refer to them. And we'll find these in chapters 1 through 3. These three scenes that give us these illustrations of faithfulness when faithfulness was hard. But I think we're also going to find something in there that's going to be very Uh, significant for us, a a broad sort of theme. Well, the writer gives us the setting for this book that we're going to find early on. So beginning in verses 1 and 2, let's just read that to get our our bearings, all right? So Daniel chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 says this, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand along with some articles from the temple of God these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So the year is around 605, 604 B.C. The setting that we're going to be wading into is Babylon, the great city to the far east of Jerusalem and the nation of Judah. And the historical setting is this. The prophet's uh, word has finally come to fruition, and Judah had begun to reap the consequences of their own unfaithfulness and they found themselves conquered by these babylonians because of their disobedience to the lord and so as the story unfolds as we get started here we see jerusalem has been besieged and the temple has been looted and all this was due to god's agency faithfulness was going to be hard so with this setting in place, let's move into scene one. I'll give you a, a bit of a, a rough-handed, uh, thematic uh, look at the, each scene as we get to it. And so scene one, I think this is what we see. Faithfulness was hard when compromise would have been easier. Faithfulness was hard when compromise would have been easier. And the writer tells us in chapter one that Nebuchadnezzar had a plan. All right, He was going to lay the foundation that would sustain his empire for years to come. And the way that he was going to do this was to prepare for the future by dealing with some elements in the present in order to prevent certain things from happening down the road. And so the plan entailed relocating and re-educating some of the brightest among those he had conquered and teaching them a new way of living. So let's look here in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1. It says this, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. you see what he's doing here? He's pretty savvy. And so as Nebuchadnezzar views things, the way to keep rebellions down is you take those who would lead those rebellions in the future, these men that are described here as both competent and attractive, the leader types, you take them and you reorient their understandings. You, you give them a new way of thinking so that the ideas of rebellion don't sound so good down the road and so that they don't end up leading these rebellions. And as part of this, the writer gives us one more detail that's going to be important for scene 1. There in verse 5 it says this, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Whatever they were eating, they were eating well. And you think about it, well-fed people don't tend to rebel do they so he's pretty savvy here his plan here makes a lot of sense and the writer goes on to tell us that among these who have been carried off were four individuals the one after whom the book is named daniel and his three friends we'll get more into them here in a little bit but there was an issue and in verse eight we discover that issue if you look there but daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine And he asked the chief official for for permission not to defile himself in this way. You think about the situation here. Daniel was far removed from home. So the nation of Judah in which he grew up was way uh, way back to the west, and he was far removed from that environment and those people and far removed from those faith traditions that that uh, said certain things you shouldn't eat and certain things are okay to eat. So he's far removed from all that, but yet here in this new place, this new context, he felt troubled. He felt the need to compromise, and he began to resist against that. But you think about this. He could, have, he could easily uh, justify this. I mean, you've been ripped from your home. You've been taken off to live among a new people. You're part of a conquered people, and someone is offering you the best food there is around, Seems so bad, does it? I mean, if you're in a new situation that's not ideal, you might as well enjoy it a little bit, right? To uh, have, some, have some good food. Why, I mean, who wouldn't want to eat from the king's table? And what's more, you have to wonder that uh, there were other in the company of Daniel, and the three friends that we're going to look at, and perhaps they weren't quite, so, uh, weren't quite so bound to the old traditions and thought, uh, you know what, if the king's going to feed us the best, then we're going to eat it. Come on, Daniel, what's the big deal? Just eat the food it's no problem see faithfulness was going to be hard here compromise was going to be a whole lot easier but these faithful men refused to compromise we're going to step out of scene one and go to scene two in chapter two and in scene two i think we're going to see this principle faithfulness was hard when the situation seemed hopeless so the story starts out. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and in this dream, uh, it was something that really bothered him. And so he called together all those who were used to consulting. He consulted about his dreams, and he told them, as we have recorded here in verse three, "I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means." And so this is the wheelhouse of the astrologers and the magicians and the enchanters and all these. And so I mean, this is what they this is what they do. They get in touch with the gods, the spirits, and they make interpretation of dreams. And so. They say to him, uh, tell us the dream, we'll tell you the interpretation. But on this occasion, the king decided to change the terms that they were accustomed to. And he says, you know what? This time, tell me the dream and then tell me the interpretation. And by the way, if you don't do that, I'm going to cut you into pieces and knock your houses down, all right? So, yikes, all right? So uh, they began to, uh, you know, little beads of sweat on the astrologer's foreheads. And, uh, they reiterate their first, uh, their first concern. They say, well, you know, tell us the dream and, and uh, we'll tell you what the interpretation, the interpretation is. And my paraphrase, Nebuchadnezzar says, no, I want to make sure you're not hosing me. So uh, you're going to tell me the dream and then tell me the interpretation. Well, the astrologers are dismayed at this completely and totally. And they voice their Uh, Their concern, verse 10, if you look there, the the astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among men. And so, king, what you are asking, only the gods can do, and they're not around. Right? He began to think through the hopelessness of this situation, and it really begins to, to uh, stand out. I mean, if I put a gun to your head and I said, tell me what I'm thinking, you might be able to come up with it. But if I said, tell me what I'm dreaming, I mean, good luck with that. Uh, there was one occasion I dreamed that I was a member of the A-team, right? Good luck coming up with that, all right? So uh, this is, I mean, essentially a death sentence. And so when they say we can't do it, the king is adamant in his demand and says, all right. All of you are to be executed. And so the entire slate, the entire class of astrologers and magicians and sorcerers slated to be executed. The problem is among those, Daniel, his three friends. It's bad news. This is going to be problematic. What is Daniel going to do? Is he going to go beg for his life? What is he going to do? Well, we're going to see he's going to be faithful there in verse 18 of chapter 2. He goes and he finds his three friends, and he's asked the king for more time. And he goes to his friends, and he says, Plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. He says, Men, we've got to pray. God is the only one who can get us out of this. Faithfulness was hard because this situation was hopeless. Scene 3, chapter 3. Characterize it this way. Faithfulness was hard when the cost was high. So Nebuchadnezzar hatched a plan as he's uh, prone to do. I think he's still part of his empire building scheme. He decides to erect an idol 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, it says, covered in gold. So an imposing idol. And he summons all the people to worship it. He says, when the, when the horn blows, when the lyre plays, everyone will bow down. And he says, all peoples of all nations, all you conquered peoples will bow down to this idol and give it your worship. And if you don't, I'll burn you alive. Right? So I'll put you in the furnace and, and you'll be consumed by the flames. Pretty high stakes, right? Well, it's no wonder that all the people then fall in line with this. As soon as, they, uh, as, soon as the idol is erected, as soon as they hear the, the horn blow, all the people fall down. Well, all except three individuals, three of Daniel's friends. We don't know why Daniel doesn't appear in this. But the three friends, many of us know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, word comes to the king that they refuse to do what the king has told them to do. Well, this is going to be problematic for them. And it's one thing to... It's one thing to refuse on a certain principle to do something. Many of us have taken a stand on certain things. But when the pressure gets really intense, sometimes we buckle. Well, the pressure gets really intense when the king calls them and says, I hear that you are not bowing down to the idol. I have told everyone to bow down to. So I'm going to give you one more chance. We're going to blow the horn, play the lyre. You have a chance to bow down. If so, all all is forgotten. But if you don't... I will throw you into the furnace. And at that we have one of the great, uh, one of the, uh, I think, epitomizes one of the great examples of faithfulness in all the scripture when the three men answer the king, who, uh, you know, uh, to close up what the king says, he says, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And to that, here's how they respond in verse 16 of chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve, he's able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They chose to be faithful, even when the cost was very high. And with that, we come to the end of our scenes. And we see these examples of faithfulness, powerful examples of faithfulness. And so what do we do with these? Well, uh, the good news is next time you're faced with whether to eat from the king's table or not, or next time you're faced with uh, whether to uh, interpret someone or give someone's dream and interpret it, or the next time you're faced with someone who says, you know, if you don't bow down to that idol, I'm going to burn you alive, you'll know exactly what to do because we have this text that gives us these great stories, right? Uh, That's not all that helpful, is it? I think we can do a little better than that. There is this overarching principle that we see demonstrated by these characters. This principle of faithfulness, even when faithfulness was hard. And I think we can take that and we can make application of that to our lives, this faithfulness in difficult situations. But I don't even think that's good enough. I think there's something here, something that emerges From these three stories look together and I think this is one of the key principles of the book of Daniel well I'll call the theological heart of the book that we find because the question at this point is why were they so faithful and I think it's a question for us why should we be faithful faced with difficult circumstances when it's hard to do why should we be faithful I mean, we have these guys that serve as an example, but if you ask them, uh, you know, why are you faithful? Well, you know, if uh, I say, well, you should be faithful. Why is that? Well, because you're supposed to. Okay, I mean, that, uh, that's probably not inaccurate, but is that it? Maybe uh, we could see the example here. Uh, you should be faithful because God will always deliver you out of all your problems. I mean, it works for them, right? I don't think that really jives. You read the New Testament even, and you see that, you know what? Uh, particularly the book of Acts, not everyone makes it out alive there they're certainly faithful so why were these people faithful what was the basis of their faithfulness that we see reflected in this text and here's the theological heart of the book and that heart is this because god rules at all times and in all places his people should be faithful because God rules at all times and in all places, his people should be faithful. We left all those scenes hanging. Let's return to those briefly. In scene chapter 1, remember the, Daniel had said, man, I can't eat that. And He says, I'll tell you what, how about this? Give us 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables. Things will allow us to continue to be faithful to our dietary laws and see how it works. And if it doesn't work, uh, and then we'll go back. But if it does work, then it'll allow us to keep doing it. The guard agrees 10 days later. We discover they're healthier than those who are eating from the king's table. God has demonstrated he is powerful even in a foreign land among foreign people. Scene chapter 2, the situation was hopeless. Remember what the astrologer says? No man can do this, only the gods, and they don't live among men. Well, they had met Daniel's god. And we see that after Daniel prays, it is disclosed to him, both the dream and its interpretation. And we can see Daniel's response there in verse 20 of chapter 2. It says that Daniel praised God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God, my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what I asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. You hear that? Daniel says, you did this. You have the power. You're in charge. You give things that other gods can only dream of doing. You do the impossible. You bring hope to hopeless situations. And finally, scene three. Remember Nebuchadnezzar's challenge to his three friends, what God is able to save you from my hand? Well, he was introduced to him shortly thereafter, right? The fourth man in the furnace, you can read for yourself as he looks in there and he says, didn't we throw in three? Why do I see four? See, God didn't seem to be too impeded by the furnace, even though it was seven times hotter. Didn't seem to face him. And so now, I think, in light of this, it all begins to come clear. Are these stories mainly about these compelling characters that demonstrate faithfulness in these really tough circumstances? But certainly there, and they certainly do, but I don't think that's the real point. These stories are really not as much about them, though they are critical, but it is more about the Lord. That's what these stories are about. See, there is not a place where the Lord does not rule. There is not a situation in which he is unable to intervene, and there is no power over which he does not have control. That's what we see in these stories right here. And because this is true, because God rules in all places for all times, there is no reason why his people should not be faithful. get that connection? Because God rules in all places for all times, there's no reason why we shouldn't be faithful because God is not dictated by our circumstances and our faithfulness should not be either, even when those circumstances are hard. Because they're not hard for God. He's still in charge. He still rules. So what does this mean? It means no matter what you're facing, if you are a follower of Christ, God is still in control. It does not mean that everything's going to turn out hunky-dory for you and all your dreams are going to be fulfilled and all that. That's not what it means. What it does mean is that the Lord has not lost control. If life is hard, it's not because God has lost control of the wheel and the car is careening out of control. No, God is still firmly and completely in control. And because He rules this way, let's be faithful. Let's be faithful. Marilyn I recently listened to uh, George W Bush's memoir about his presidency called Decision Points and as part of that he's he's talking about his efforts that he uh, that he led to try to stem the AIDS epidemic in Africa and uh, has a long section where he discusses about that and he talks about toward the end of his presidency in 2008 he went to Rwanda to visit a school there and he found some students there in the school, and they were being instructed as part of his plan about how to uh, refuse the advances of older men who were trying to make sexual advances, all this kind of stuff. So uh, on this, ab- on this uh, abstinence front, and as he heard this, he was so you know, moved that he just said out loud, God is good. And there was a cluster of students there who heard that, and they answered all the time. And he was surprised when he, when he heard that. And he goes on to write to write this he says i was taken aback here in rwanda a country who had lost hundreds of thousands to both genocide and aids these children felt blessed surely those of us in comfortable places like america could learn a lesson i decided to say it again god is good and the chorus responded even louder all the time what did they know what those kids know they knew That God rules in all places, in all times, in all circumstances. And because of that, we should be faithful. We should be faithful. Let's pray together, if you would. I would invite you to consider your response to this word, to this challenge of God's sovereignty his rule over all things and consider how he is leading you to respond perhaps you're in one of these difficult seasons of life and faith has proven difficult for you faithfulness has proven difficult maybe it's difficult due to compromise maybe it's a situation that seems hopeless maybe it's just hard the stakes are high and you don't know what to do i hope this morning that god has affirmed in you That he's in charge and that regardless of the situation, the call for us is to be faithful. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ. Whether you came here today by invitation or maybe just stumbled in, maybe you're just curious. uh, You need to know that God rules and God reigns over all things. And that includes you. Your opportunity this morning is to accept that. The invitation to you is to grant the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, your allegiance and be faithful to Him. Perhaps you're here this morning and life's been hard and you just need to reaffirm your belief, your commitment to God's goodness, His faithfulness, and His rule. Our Father, thank you for these stories of these men that we have as examples for us. But Lord, uh, help us to see the more significant example that is based upon your leadership, your rule of the world. So, Lord, regardless of what circumstances any of us may find themselves in, I pray that uh, that would become a, just a cornerstone in our thinking. That you rule over all things. And Lord, armed with that, to live life according to to live life faithfully. So guide us into that, mass. Lord, may each of us respond in the way that you would have us to respond as the Spirit works in us and among us to do what you would have us to do. So we offer this time of response to you as an act of worship. pray this prayer in Christ's name.